0: Korea has been called an impossible country. Perched on a peninsula between two mighty giants, China and Japan, with Russia lurking just above, Korea, although currently split into two countries, has nevertheless persisted, despite invasions, occupations, and civil war. Part of the secret to Korea's survival was the long period of continuity in rulers. The Joseon dynasty ruled from 1392 to 1910. Of all the trials this dynasty endured, perhaps none came as close to destroying the monarchy as Sado, the crown prince, ruling regent, heir to the throne, and a deranged serial killer. In order to preserve the dynasty, King Yongjo enacted a punishment against the crown prince so terrible it is still talked about today and earned Sado the nickname the Coffin King. Come back with me to the year 1762. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Scalawags, the podcast where I, your host Marguerite, tell you a story about mendacious pettifoggers, pusillanimous scofflaws, and knavish skullduggery. In other words, historical crime. Think back to last week and the story of the Yorkshire witch. Time-wise, this takes place just before that, but on the other side of the world, Let's talk about the history of Korea very briefly because the story is long and fascinating, but I'm going to super condense it, and I apologize for any errors in facts or pronunciation. Let's talk about my sources. First, the history of Korea by Homer Hulbert. Second, and what I most heavily relied on are the memoirs of Lady Hyegyeong, She was the wife of Prince Sado, and she actually wrote four sets of memoirs. The last one she wrote was in 1805, and I'm particularly using the translation by Habush. Uh, I also read The History of Korea, A Captivating Guide. It's part of the Captivating History series. It was published January 2020. The book itself is good, but I do not recommend the audiobook. It is the worst narration I have ever heard. There are robots who read with more feeling. But the book itself, definitely worth reading. I also read articles at historynaked.com and Mad Monarchs. And there was a 2015 South Korean historical drama called The Throne if you are interested in more of this story. But that is a highly fictionized version of what I'm about to tell you. Now, Korean history. The earliest records of a nation on the Korean peninsula is from 3rd century BC. That kingdom fell, and it was divided into three kingdoms. And these three kingdoms, Goryeo, Bakche, and Silla, took up not only the entire peninsula, but part of Manchuria as well. Then in the seventh century with help from China, Silla unified the peninsula into a single nation and the Korean identity was born. I'm not going deep into the history, just know that the Mongols invaded and occupied most of Korea. In 1392, General Yi song gye overthrew the Goryeo dynasty in a coup. The Goryeo dynasty had allied itself with the Mongols, and that was not a popular decision. So the peninsula was again unified under General Yi song who then went on to found the Joseon dynasty. So again, allying Korea with China and with the Ming dynasty. He moved the capital to Hansong, which is modern-day Seoul, and built his palace there. He adopted Confucianism as the official ideology of Joseon, replacing Buddhism. So this was a big change in philosophy. Now, under the Joseon dynasty, there was an emphasis on agriculture. They created a system of writing that was accessible to the lower classes, as opposed to only the elite who learned the Chinese language and Chinese writing. This is the creation of a true Korean language and what really developed into the Korean identity we know today, they overhauled the tax system. And even though it was a very patriarchal society, they granted both maternity and paternity leave. King Yongjo was the 21st king of the Joseon dynasty. He was the second son of his father, Sukjong. Now, he was the younger son, but both Yongjo and his older half-brother were sons of concubines. That did not keep them from being royal princes with the possibility of ruling as king. But each concubine was allied with a different political faction, so you can see the setup for the power struggle. There was a queen who was from the Noron faction, as was Lady Suk, Yongjo's mother. Lady Jang was a royal concubine and supposedly one of the most beautiful women in the nation. The king was absolutely smitten with her even though her family had been more middle class when she had first become a lady in waiting. The queen was childless when Lady Jang gave birth to Gyeongjong, and the Sauron political faction began pushing hard for him to be named heir. But the Noron faction was angry because they believed the queen was still young enough to bear an heir, and they were like, slow your roll. Now, due to some serious political chicanery and being completely whipped by Lady Jang, the king ends up exiling his queen, and he puts Lady Jang on the throne. But the Sauron faction immediately starts taking advantage of this alliance. I mean, that's the whole point of having that alliance, but they are pushing way too hard, trying to take too much advantage of their new position of power, and the king finally gets fed up with them. He flips queens again. He brings back his queen from exile and then banishes Lady Jang but then the queen dies and the rumors are that Lady Jang killed her with black magic. So Lady Jang is sentenced to death by poison. There is a story that Lady Jang's last request was a moment with her son, Gyeong Jong, but when she went and made as if she was going to embrace him, Instead, she attacked him and wounded him in the abdomen, rendering him sterile and frail for his entire life. This may or may not be true because following the execution of Lady Jang, many members of Jang's immediate family and about 1,700 members of the Sauron party were killed. Now, killing off the immediate family following an execution was the law but killing off most of a political party. Perhaps an attack on the royal heir was behind the purge. However, this could have just been Noron propaganda to blame the prince's frailty on his mother and not on the king. But Gyeongjong was, in fact, always in extremely poor health. At the end of King Sukjong's life, he was pressured strongly by the Noron factions to name Gyeongjo his heir. He allegedly did this while on his deathbed, but there was no scribe. So, never happened. Gyeongjong takes over as king, but he is known to be sterile and allegedly impotent as well. And Yongjo is named as his brother's heir. And Yongjo, he is in real danger now. Zhou, you in danger, girl. The Sauron faction begins immediately looking for him to assassinate him. They go hunting around the palace, claiming to be looking for a white fox that is haunting the palace. I can't make this up. But Yang Zhou hid out with the Dowager Queen Inwan, who was his stepmama after the previous queen died. This is queen number three. Keep up. There's the original queen, then there's Lady Jang. There's back to original queen. Now the king never married Yong Zhou's mother. He married Inwan. She survives the king, but she has no offspring, and she clearly favored Yongjo. Just four years after taking the throne in 1724, Yongjong abruptly dies of food poisoning at the age of 37. Of course, there are rumors that he was poisoned by the Noron faction. But as Homer Holbert wrote in his book, The History of Korea, quote, a man who will eat shrimps in midsummer that have been brought 30 miles from the sea without ice might expect to die, end Yongjo was king at the age of 30. He and his queen did not have any sons. He had a son with a concubine, but that boy dies at the age of nine. Five years later, Prince Sado was born in 1735, and he was the son of Yongjo's favorite concubine, Lady Sanhui. Sado seemed healthy and there was great rejoicing. Lady Sanhui was second consort. This was an official position. The legal consort was the queen, and then the king would take concubines as he saw fit. Second consort was officially the king's favored concubine. The consorts and concubines would have their own living quarters, their own staff and the queen was not allowed to complain or be upset. Lady Sanhui had Sado, and she had several princesses as well. King Yongjo was thrilled to have a son. In fact, he was so excited because he was getting up there a bit in years 45, which isn't old, but when you're waiting for an heir, that's a long time. He was so excited that he sort of rushed things. He just couldn't wait. He moved his son to his very own palace or pavilion, one that was intended for Sado when he became the prince regent when he was older. But he moved him there as an infant to be raised by servants, ladies-in-waiting, and the eunuchs. Now, Jo had to choose a staff and location, and both were controversial. Because Yangzhou, there was a staff that had nothing to do at the time. And they had all belonged to his dead brother, Gyeongjong. Now, this was probably a way to try and curry favor with that group. But maybe not the ideal people to have raising the royal heir and the palace where Sado lived. That had belonged to Lady Jang, of the Black Magic and was supposedly cursed. Or at least superstitious people thought so. Great idea. Send your baby to be raised by a bunch of people who hate you in a cursed palace. What could go wrong? Now, King Yongzhou and Hui would visit regularly. However, Zhou had a terrible temper, and he would yell and rant, and Sado was very shy and timid. This made the king even more angry, and then he would scream and punish the little boy, who would then be even more nervous the king was determined that his heir must be perfect, and so he would criticize everything the boy did. Even worse, he had a tendency to do this in public. He would sort of grill him in front of the full court and then humiliate him when he couldn't answer. He was pushing really, really hard to educate the prince, and he started when he was just a baby. Perhaps I should explain a little bit about the Korean culture of the time. As I have mentioned previously, the king had moved them to Confucianism, and in fact, at this time, it was what was called Neo-Confucianism. Emphasis on proper hierarchy and fulfillment through filial piety, humbleness, and ritual. They prized learning and devotion to duty, And there were very, very rigid roles in this society. This demanded absolute obedience of people to rulers, children to their parents, and wives to husband. You were not to demonstrate excess emotionalism or personal desires, but in response, those at the top owed a duty to their people. And this was a time of ancestor worship where... The elders were to be revered above all. Know your station, stay in your place, and give the obedience to those to whom it's due. The problem with this structure is when the people at the top aren't doing what they should. Now, for us, we look at that and there's see there's no room for individual expression or those who don't fit the role chosen for them. It would really be anathema to us, the way our culture values the individual. At eight years old, Sato has a pride chosen for him by royal edict. Now, traditionally, there was a competition called a bride show. Think toddlers and tiaras, only the winner gets a real tiara. All of the noble families had to submit names of children of marriageable age, and there were three rounds of competition— So they narrowed it down to a great eight they were starting with, then they narrowed it down to a threesome, three, and the girls had to then go to the palace for instruction and from those three, the royal bride would be chosen. Now among the names was a girl who was known to be very beautiful. I'm not sure why that mattered, but they had to keep telling me that she was very beautiful. And most importantly, she was of a very good lineage. Her family were descendants from a royal princess. The family name was Hong, and the father was a notable scholar. We do not know her name at the time. Her name was later changed to become Lady Hye who I mentioned in of her memoirs. And that is the only name we really know her by. We do not know what her given name was as a child. So, around 9 or 10, Sado is married to Lady Hyegyeong. Hye-gyeong did not want this, and her mother didn't want it for her either. In fact, her mother didn't want to give her name and said to Hong, the father, that surely they wouldn't harm a scholar and a ritual attendant for his daughter not being submitted. But Hong warned that they would be in trouble. After all, they were of royal lineage, and he was very devoted as a follower of confucius and he believed in doing his duty. They were poor, but they were a noble family. The mother made Hyegyeong a dress from her sister's dowry fabric, which was the only fabric nice enough to make a dress to which the girl could go to the palace in. Hyegyeong was presented at court and she was terrified. She was there alone. Her mother couldn't be with her. Her father had to take her the palace and then just leave her there now the prospective brides were presented multiple times and Hye education from her family remember they were scholars made her show extremely well she knew all the proper etiquette her father was a ritual attendant she had the correct speech there are three levels of korean speech and she spoke exclusively to them in the respectful speech appropriate for her elders so she looked great to them. Privately, she was terrified and cried a great deal. She talks about it extensively in her memoirs, but in public, she had the right countenance. She was allowed to visit her home once more while they were waiting on the announcement, but once she was chosen, she had to leave her home and never return. Because custom was that a royal wife could never return to her parents' home because her sole allegiance was now to the royal family. Her parents began speaking to her in the respectful level because she was now above them. So Hyekyong is taken to stay at a nearby pavilion at the court where there was intense instruction given to her in everything from the smallest gesture, how to stand, how to properly lie down. She was given yet another etiquette book to memorize and throughout her parents would periodically see her and keep emphasizing it to her how it is her duty to serve with proper filial devotion. She basically cries nonstop during this but she notes with pride in her memoirs that her parents behave flawlessly and when she breaks down at her mother leaving her, quote, her mother betrayed no inappropriate emotion. So the wedding day comes and here are the instructions that King Yong Zhou gives her on her wedding day. Quote, in serving the crown prince, please be gentle with him and do not be frivolous of voice or expression. If his eyes wander, pretend that you do not notice. It is not an unusual thing in the palace, and so it is best to behave normally, not letting him know that you noticed, End quote. Now she is nine and being reminded not to show any upset when her husband, who is eight, starts paying attention to concubines. And the king also goes on to remind her, quote, it is improper for a woman to show her undergarments to her husband, so do not carelessly loosen your clothes in his presence, End quote. Yeah, it goes on, more creepy instructions from the king. Um, he makes a big deal out of how intelligent and well-behaved she is, and considering what the king thought of Sado, he probably deliberately chose a daughter of a scholar. Because Sado was timid, he stammered when he spoke in front of his father because he was so afraid of him. So the king chose a wife who speaks well in public. Welcome to Not an Ad Break. Your word of the week is bloviate, a verb meaning to ramble on endlessly without saying anything especially pompous or boastful political speech. I was drawn to this word because of the similarity to bloated and blowhard. Bloviate originated in the U.S. around 1857, but quickly fell out of favor until the 1920s, when it was resurrected to describe the speech of one Warren G. Harding, who was running for president. Harding liked to say that his speech could expand to fit any occasion, sort of like Water, but without really saying anything. E.E. E. Cummings said of Harding, quote, the only man, woman, or child who wrote a simple declarative sentence with seven grammatical errors, end quote. One of Harding's political rivals, Senator William McAdoo, described the man's speech as an army of pompous phrases moving over a landscape in search of an idea. Harding went on to be elected the 29th president of the U.S. and go down in history as the most corrupt administration ever. Just Google Teapot Dome Scandal for more on him. Now, back to your regularly scheduled K-drama. We've been talking about the king, Yongjo. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Sado's mother, Lady Son Hui. There wasn't a lot of affection to be had there either. The children both uh, feared Lady Sanhui. She was extremely strict. The exact quote of her was that maternal love did not temper discipline. Lady Hyegyeong uh, says that Sanhui's standards were such that no ordinary woman could attain them. She was always formal always correct. There wasn't any any warmth towards the children. In fact, the palace regulations were very exacting. And the kids really had to be up and in their formal robes early so that they could present themselves at the required time and Hyekyong was afraid to even sleep well in case she overslept. She was so anxious about doing things correctly. But Sado would often oversleep or come late, and she couldn't go in until he was there. Now, I'm not sure if this was on purpose or sort of a passive-aggressive thing on his part, or if he was already becoming obsessive in his dressing routines. As we'll see later, this becomes a big deal for him. Now, I wanna talk a little bit about the rigid rules of the society. And Hye Gyeong had servants who came with her from her home, but they were actually slaves. So she kept her family slaves, and in fact was given a slave as a gift. Her father had been awarded certain slaves after passing his examinations, and they were listed on the family slave register. Now, she kept some of them with her her entire life, and it's, as you're going to see, the line between servant and slave is pretty blurry in some instances the servants aren't really free. So Sado and Hyekyong lived at first more as playmates than husband and wife, except they don't really play because there's so much serious instruction, except for Sado and his addiction to war games. Sado was a normal little boy in some ways, and he would build up energy and, and want to play so that he had a palace matron who would let him basically play soldier he would use swords and weapons and he really enjoyed fighting and like a lot of little boys he admired the uniforms and he really lo- he really loved playing soldier but the king found out and naturally disapproved this was not what he wanted for his son and so he banished the matron, who was much loved by Sado. So Sado learned to become more secretive because he was really addicted to these war games. Now, I mentioned a queen. This queen was from the Noron faction, and she was very friendly with Lady Hyekyong's family. So she's courteous to Sado, but as soon as Hyekyong comes to the palace, she can tell that the queen doesn't really love Sado. Now the dowager queen Inwan, the one who had protected Yongjo uh, from the Sauron faction, she does love Sado. Even though he isn't a blood relation, she treats him as her grandson because she loves Yongjo and this is Yongjo's child. So the queen, who was from the Noron faction, probably had a hand in Hyegyeong being chosen since she was friendly with the family. But through this, she comes to care more about Sado, and they begin bonding, and she treats him probably better than his own mother, Sanhui. So the queen becomes like a mother to Sado, and the dowager queen Inwan becomes like a grandmother. And in fact, Hyaggyong's father, Hong, begins helping Sado with his studies, and he really comes to love Sado like a son. Sado is a really nerdy, quiet kid, um, and he does really well with Hong and they just develop a strong bond. So things seem like they are going pretty well. However, things are still super awkward between Sado and the king. Sado becomes so uncomfortable around his father that he wouldn't sit in front of him except in a prostrate position, uh, his face down on the ground. He began having strange spells where he would become loud and clumsy and sometimes is even said to have lost consciousness. Hyegyeong notices and she can tell that he was, in her words, ill in a way she didn't understand, end quote. Uh, In in, in addition to his his nerdiness, though, he continues with his martial games in an almost obsessive way. He loved archery and swords, uh, anything warlike, he adored. He also becomes fascinated with the occult, and begins to spend his time memorizing magical formulas instead of his regular studies. I'm going to include a content warning here. Uh, just for those who may be sensitive to the topics, We're going, there's going to be a discussion of uh, some pretty extreme mental illness and of sexual violence. So use your own discretion. When Sado and Hyegyong become 14 and 15, they start living as husband and wife. She is soon pregnant. She has a son. Everyone's excited. They have the next heir, but the baby only lives to the age of 2 and then passes away. Everyone is extremely upset, but especially Hyegyong. She feels as though She failed as a mother, and she failed the family, and she is convinced that a lack of filial devotion on her part caused the illness. Soon she's pregnant again, and she has another son, but she gives birth in the middle of a measles epidemic, and the prince, Changzhou, was taken to be raised in a separate location for his safety during the first month of his life. So she has a new baby and it's immediately separated from her. Sado contracted measles and he became extremely ill. One of the royal princesses died from measles. Hye uh, contracts measles and she is extremely sick because she is still recovering from childbirth at that time. And in spite of them taking baby Chongjo away, he also contracted measles, but fortunately his case was quite mild. However, Sado ran an extremely high fever. Hong, uh, Lady Hyekyong's father, comes and nurses Sado, who survives. But this really seems to have sparked uh, his turn with mental illness. I read some studies that suggest there is a link between high fevers, illnesses that affect the central nervous system and schizophrenia. They don't believe that the fevers and CNS illnesses cause the schizophrenia. It doesn't cause your mental illness, but it can sort of throw the switch for some people who have a predisposition to schizophrenia. Whether it was that or SADO is also reaching the age when such illnesses uh, begin manifesting. So it could be completely unrelated. But after the measles, there seems to be a change in him. So as they go on, um, Hye Kyung has two more babies, both girls. And her memoirs are really difficult to read at this point, because she is clearly suffering From postpartum depression she describes her feelings of hopelessness but says she's forcing herself to go forward and she repeatedly expresses that she wished to die at this time Sato as if he hasn't been ill enough contracts smallpox and is again gravely ill there's another epidemic and now the Queen dies Sato had become closer to her than to Lady Sanhui. He's still very weak from his illness, and he becomes profoundly depressed. So the king responds by admonishing him sternly about his, quote, unseemly behavior. He's weeping and grief-stricken, and this is not acceptable. Sato has taken several concubines, and he has sons with two of them, and he has another son with Hegyong. Uh One of the concubines is his secondary consort or royal concert, consort, uh, her name is Pingay, she is Lady Pak, but she goes by Pingay. Now the king also has concubines and he even remarries, but he keeps having daughters with the concubines, meaning Sado is still his heir and the king is jealous that his, quote, inferior son keeps having more sons while he just has daughters, and this makes him livid with Sato. He calls Sato to him and berates him so severely in front of his ministers that they actually speak up. Their relationship is uh, damaged even further. When the dowager queen Inwan dies, and now Sato has lost the women who were like a mother and a grandmother to him in close succession. He does love his actual parents and he craves their approval, which he does not get. So this is, he he loses an, an important anchor in his life. The king remarries, as I said. And she is of a childbearing age, which is tense for everyone because Sado is being so strange and the king hates him. And there is a chance of him being cut out of the family if the new queen, who takes a strong dislike to Hiegyong and her family, if that queen has a child. Hiegyong is very worried for what will happen to her son Zhou if the queen has a son. Well, she doesn't. Chongjo is named Grand Heir, meaning the king names him as a future king. So a consort is chosen for him, and Chongjo is also married as a young child. Now, Sado isn't the only royal family member becoming increasingly strange. It's clear that mental illness ran in this family. Let's talk for a minute about King Yongjo because we've heard how he did not treat his son well. But he also began to shy away from anything that he found unpleasant. The king avoided words that connotated death to him in any way, including the word for return, which just sounded familiar to him in in Korean to the word for death. So he would shy away from that. And in fact, he used different doors if he was going to go and do something that he found pleasing or something that he found unpleasant. And he would not use the same door to go out that he returned from because return was death. So that was the death door. And the doors could change um, if something happened that was unpleasant, he would not go back out through that door the next time and would would choose a different one. If something was unpleasant, he would not go back into his chambers until he changed clothes. And if he heard anything that he did not like, he had to wash out his ears and sometimes his mouth as well. He would give instructions based upon who was in his favor and who was not. Unfavored people could not stay in the same location or even travel the same road with someone who was in Young Jo's favor. So it made things really difficult. Young Jo avoided tasks that he did not wish to attend by naming Sado as a regent, as which was not unusual for a crown prince for him to be named as regent, and for the king to start handing him duties, royal duties. Uh, However, the duties that Yongjo gave his son were all the really bad ones that he didn't enjoy, like attending the torture and execution of criminals, uh, political trials. Basically, if there was anything the king hated to do, but something that was too important for a eunuch, he would send a eunuch to the prince with instructions for him to handle it. And Sado was still a young teen when he first started doing that. Now, there was a daughter that Yongjo particularly liked, um, a royal princess whose quarters were next to Sado's. And Jo insisted on wearing different clothing between them. If he did not change, so he would, he would visit his daughter and then have to change clothes before he could visit his son. And if he did not change, he would just stand outside and call Sado to come out. And he would yell, how are you to Sado? And then after his son answered, he would immediately wash out his ears, and then throw the water over into the princess's yard. So, not normal. Now, life in the Joseon court was very, very busy. There were constantly ministers, tutors, doctors, scientists, servants, enslaved people, ladies-in-waiting, and eunuchs there in the palace. It's really a small city. Uh, eunuchs in uh, Korean society played a very important role. If you're not familiar with a eunuch is, a eunuch is a man who has been castrated, and at that time it was to make him a reliable servant. It started as a way to control enslaved people, typically those who had been conquered, but it became a voluntary way of entering very specific royal service. Um, Yes, people would actually voluntarily go and get castrated so that they could have one of these positions in the royal court. Eunuchs did domestic duties such as tending the king's bed linens, bathing him, tending to his body. Uh, They were also important in relaying messages. And so eunuchs had a lot of close contact with the king. The theory was that a eunuch wouldn't have any loyalty outside his service. Uh, He had no family. There would be no children. They were not allowed into military service. Therefore, they were considered more trustworthy. His only loyalty would be to the king. In Korean courts, there was a tiered system uh, of eunuchs, but all of them were fairly high up in the servant ranks. There were chiefs and there were common eunuchs, and they were servants that could be given as tributes or awarded to another high-ranking official, which does seem to mean they're treating them as something less than human. You remember I said that they sort of blurred the line between servants and enslaved people. However, people deliberately chose to go into life as a eunuch. Now, eunuchs were the only males outside the royal family allowed to stay inside the palace overnight. The castration was done by butchers rather than doctors because touching flesh was seen as an unclean lower-class thing to do. But the eunuchs were the personal servants of the royalty. They were the taste testers, messengers, guards. They did the domestic duties, but something interesting, unlike other places, Korean eunuchs were allowed to marry and they were allowed to adopt children. But it was understood that the boys they adopted and raised were to become eunuchs and go into the royal service themselves, which is sort of a way to raise up a handy staff. So there were many eunuchs around the court and they had the thankless task of being the go-betweens for the king and Sado. And they take a lot of grief from both of them. The king went out of his way not to spend any time with Sado. He never took him out to the ancestral temples or tombs or memorials. He cuts him out of the rituals, which is just a really big deal uh, when that is such an important part of this. Uh, the society. And because the king didn't invite Sado to any of his big parties or spectacles, and if he did invite him, Sado wasn't to speak. He was just criticized mercilessly by his father. So Youngjo really missed seeing when Sado started becoming more delusional and fixating on peculiar ideas. It's during his teen years that Sato turns violent. Hegyong notes in her memoirs that Sato began taking out his frustrations on the eunuchs, on ladies-in-waiting, and even on her while she was pregnant with their first child. So the violence starts early with him. He's also violent with himself. Now, the king could be really cranky and grumpy, and Sato would react in terror, But at one point, the king was arguing with the dowager queen, Inwan, and he had threatened to abdicate. Sado became so upset by the conflict between his mother and his adopted grandmother that he lay prostrate out in the open air on a rice mat in snow and ice, and he began banging his head on the ground until his forehead was bleeding. He would speak and move in ways that Hye Gyeong described as abnormal. Although she doesn't elucidate more than that. But she mentions hallucinations. Once he was hallucinating during a thunderstorm. And afterwards he was convinced that he had been visited by the thunder god. And believed that he influenced the weather. He claimed he could see ghosts and spirits. He was terrified of the thunder god, though, and refused to look up at the sky and would respond to storms by collapsing and covering up his ears. He blamed himself for any bad weather, and he thought the king would also blame him. This started around 1752. Now, in 1753, Sado gets one of his concubines pregnant, and the king is livid. Sado keeps trying to have her abort the child through different means because he's so upset about his father, but she remains pregnant. He is so worried that the king is going to turn on him that he pretty much just abandons his concubine, which was considered very unacceptable. Hye Gyeong helped nurse the concubine through her delivery. You'll see through this that in spite of... Uh, these being her husband's concubines, because it was accepted in the court and considered normal, she actually has a fairly good relationship uh, with these other women. So she helped nurse her through the delivery. And Sato just keeps having sons. This is another boy. As I said, that Hyegyeong had two sons and two daughters with Sato. There was an incident when she was heavily pregnant and Chong Jo was a baby when Sato got in a rage after his father accused him of drinking, which was a big sin in the court. His father accused him of being intoxicated. So Sato is angry. He is chasing a pair of tutors and he is beating them. And he knocks over a candlestick that lit up the rice paper in the house. And it sets the whole palace on fire. Khaegyeong has to get out with her infant son and get her very pregnant self out of the house. And this is around 1 a.m., Fortunately, she woke up and was able to get them both out. Sato was too busy uh, beating his tutors to even help her. So the king finds out he's furious and Sato runs away and tries to fling himself down a well and they have to stop him. His obsession with these his military games doesn't pass when he grows up. Um, so whenever the king is gone... He's a grown man, but he would still engage in these games. He would ride his horse through the garden, shooting arrows, and make the ladies-in-waiting participate and wave banners. And he forced the eunuchs to make a military band and stand up there and play for him. Um, I think I mentioned that Sado had sons with his concubines, as well as his legal consort. And the king also continues making babies, Um And he takes up with one of the ladies-in-waiting, and they have a daughter. Now, this lady-in-waiting, this new concubine, is named Lady Mun. And she had a brother who was a high-ranking servant, and he hated Sado. Hate. Well, he had a bunch of buddies who worked for Sado. And they would get every little bit of gossip, real or not. And he couldn't wait to tell it to Lady Munn, who would then run to the king and just pour out every scrap of gossip, true or not. So that's not helping the relationship that there's someone in between just pouring poison in the king's ear. So that king just keeps calling out Sado in front of cr- crowds during this Um And things really come to a head. This is the summer. It's extremely hot. It is sticky. And that's when things take a turn for the worse. In 1757, Sato has begun beating his eunuchs severely. Everything's terrible. And that's when the murders started. His first known murder is of a eunuch named Kim han Chae, who just happened to be on duty that day. Uh, Hye-gyong was with a group of ladies-in-waiting when Sato comes in carrying Han-she's bloody head. She remarks in her memoirs, It was the first severed head I ever saw. Yeah, just the first. So naturally, people run screaming. Sato puts the head on a pike and just displays it around. His mother takes to her bed, but now he has a taste for killing. And his rages, which used to end in a beating for someone, will now start ending in murder. He also becomes a serial rapist. He would force himself on any woman he wanted to, maids, ladies-in-waiting, who were women of stature. He even begins stalking one of his younger sisters. He also becomes madly infatuated with Pingay, the lady-in-waiting that he took as a consort. I mentioned her before. Uh, He set her up in a fancy apartment with all the furnishings, made her his royal consort, but it wasn't as if she could say no. He severely injured any woman who resisted him and then would just sexually assault the woman. And then she would be lucky if he didn't kill her. So when he, qu- quote, courted Pingay, it's not like she had a choice. But he really seemed, or so Hye Gyeong thought, to to care about Pingay, that he was good to her or perhaps in his own uh, warped way. He did love her. Love her. She bore him a son. This was extremely controversial. Pingay had been a lady-in-waiting for the queen dowager, and under the rules of the Joseon court, it was forbidden to take a consort who had been a lady-in-waiting for one of your elders. The ladies-in-waiting were viewed as family of the elders, and so it was considered like incest. So the king began demanding that Sado get rid of Pingay, and Hyegyeong became afraid for Pingay's safety, and she uh, hid her and in fact smuggled her and the baby to another location. So the king screamed and ranted at Sado, who became so upset. He runs out a window and again tries to throw himself down a well. But of course, it's winter now. At this point, the well is frozen, so they just sort of pull him out. By 1758, the murders are a regular thing. And finally, the king figures out what's going on. And he confronts Sato. He asks why. And Sato says, it's because killing calms him down. And then he tells his father that it's because of the way his father treats him. I learned it from you. Um, he then gives an accounting of all the people he has killed. But we don't know. The actual names and numbers seemed impossible for me to find. They weren't listed in any of the documents that I was able to read. Uh, they just will say a, a eunuch or a or, or lady or multiple people. I I don't know who they were. So the king actually apologizes to his son and he promises to do better. And Sado promises not to kill any more people And that doesn't last very long and very quickly. Everything is as... Sado also developed an intense phobia related to his clothing. Quote from Lady Hyekyong's memoirs. For him to get dressed, I had to have 10, 20, or even 30 sets of clothes laid out. He would then burn some, supposedly on behalf of some ghost or other. Even after this, if he managed to get into a suit of clothes without incident, one had to count it as great good luck. If, however, those serving him were to make the slightest error, he would not be able to put his clothes on no matter how hard he tried. In the process, people were hurt, even killed. When the prince, with great difficulty and the luck of heaven, succeeded in getting into a set of clothes, he himself was so boundlessly relieved that he wore them until they were filthy. End quote. The prince's explosions of rage became more frequent and more violent. It gets to a point where they are carrying bodies out of the palace every day. Again, No counts, no names. Uh, But then he loses control and does something that Hyegyeong never thought he would do, and he beats Pingae to death. And he starts actively trying to get at his younger sister. One night he tries to break into her chambers, and even the rumor starts that he is trying to or has plans to kill his father. Now, in 1760, Hyegyeong finds out that Sado has been leaving the palace in disguise at night. She has no clue what he was doing, but he even went on a trip without telling the king, and he went in disguise. So, he is a serial killer and a rapist roaming the countryside. Also, he is the crown prince with all the wealth and power to do whatever he wants. So, Hyegyeong and the palace staff cover up that Sado was missing. They didn't want the king to find out. They said he was indisposed and Yu In-sik, a high-ranking eunuch, lay in the prince's chambers giving orders as if he were Sado. And Pak Mung Hung, the eunuch who attended Sado, tended you as if he were the prince. Sado comes back, and he is very ill when he returns. But he recovers, and once he's back and recovered, the king learns about Sado's little trip, uh, probably from Lady Moon and her crew, who just love to pass on the gossip. So he knows something must be done. Um, especially when the rumors are circulating that uh, Sado is plotting to kill the king. That is when the king comes up with what will become known as the Coffin King Punishment. Lady Sanhui, Sado's own mother, is supposedly the one who suggested this. So the king has a dilemma. He can't leave his son alive. Sado cannot be allowed to rule. He he needs Sado to die. But the rule of execution is that the family is supposed to also be killed. And there just isn't another heir but Chongo, uh, Sado's son. So the king really can't sign an order of execution. So he tells Sado that he should strangle himself. And Sato actually tries to do it. He tries to strangle himself, but he just can't. So the king orders that a rice chest is to be brought to him. And he tells Sato to climb inside. Sato cries when he realizes what his father has planned. He begs. And Chong is 10 years old, and he is present for this. And he also begins crying and begging for his father's life, but he is dragged away. Sado climbs inside the rice chest. Now, this rice chest is four by four by four feet, meaning it's it's very small. Sp- small. It's like a dog crate. He couldn't stretch out or really lay down. He would have to be curled up in there, and the king has the lid nailed shut. Sado lived in his coffin, which was dragged out into a public courtyard, and it rained, and it thundered. Remember, he thinks the thunder god is stalking him, and he's trapped in that coffin in that weather, He stays in there for eight days. On the eighth day, the rice chest is opened when it becomes quiet because Sato would scream and yell and call for help while he was in there. And when they opened the chest, he was dead. They did bury him, but not really in a fitting tomb. He was buried in a location that was considered a lesser site. Now, before ordering him to get into the rice chest, the king stripped Sado of his royal title so that he was legally a commoner. And that night, Hegyong and her children, including Grand Heir Chong and his wife had to leave the palace, their home. The king is not done with his legal maneuvering. He orders that Chong Zhou is posthumously adopted by the deceased first son that's Sado's brother that died at the age of nine. Yeah. So that legally made Changzhou the adopted son of a prince, and thus the family was royal again, and they could come back into the palace. Then Changzhou was supposed to be free from the taint of a father who was a criminal. Now, the king did not consult the 10-year-old on what he thought about that. Changzhou did eventually become king. He died relatively young. He only ruled for four years, but during that time, he was obsessed with restoring his father's name. He had loved his father, so he moved him from a new tomb in a huge grand procession and gave him a burial with all of the attendant ritual that his father was due. His son, Sancho then became king, and Sun jo ruled for a long time with his beloved grandmother there, Hye She lived to be 80 years old. Hye wrote four sets of memoirs, and the last one was in 1805. and That was the one that contained the most details about her life with Sado. It was unusual for a woman of her time, but then she really was an extraordinary woman. In this memoir, she writes very movingly, even lovingly of the people around her while also revealing their flaws. She had a reason for her memoirs. They were in response to political turmoil uh, to defend her family in instances. And in particular, she wrote the story of Sado down because long after he had died, there were rumors that he had been murdered by rivals or by the king or that there was some sort of big cover-up and she wanted to set the story straight about what happened and why. The why is a big question. We know that Sado was mentally ill. That, that much is is clear. And the king also had some serious mental health issues. But I don't think we can just Dismiss this as untreated mental illness. That isn't what makes you a serial killer. Sato had a traumatic childhood, but again, lots of people with even worse childhoods don't go on to rape and murder. And most people with mental illness do not turn into serial killers. That's not how it works. We know he had delusions but those don't seem related to the killings. He had delusions about his clothing. He had delusions about the his ability to control the weather and the thunder gods stalking them. But Sato told us the answer to why. He killed because he liked it. When he raped and murdered, it calmed him. It probably made him feel powerful and in control, He gave him an outlet for his rage. He said, it's because my father does not love me. So he's angry and lashing out as well. He was secretive, sneaking out of the palace at night and going who knows where. He took that trip in disguise. We only know about his victims in the palace. We don't know what he did when he was away from there, who else he might have hurt or killed while out in the countryside, So while I have sympathy for his suffering, I cannot absolve him of his responsibility for his actions. And that's the story of The Coffin King. Look, I never (laughs) promised a happy ending. Although, Hyegyeong got a pretty happy ending. And she, of all the people in this story, certainly deserved one. Thank you for joining me on week two of Scalawags. If you want to reach out to me, maybe give me some suggestions for your favorite true crime story that you would like to see covered, you can email me at margaritewrites at gmail.com. If you want to see some photos or images rather related to this story, um, artist renderings of what Sato looked like, what the court looked like, you can check out my Pinterest at Marguerite Says. There is a board called Coffin King. You can reach me at my Facebook page, The Scalawags Podcast. And until next time, remember, in the immortal words of Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, well-behaved women seldom make history. So get out there and make some history of your own.